We'll look back at what America used to be, what it has become, and hopefully what we can do to return it to we the people with Morgan Brittany on this episode of United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford. I'm your host, Gary Benford. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hope you subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review. And I am happy to report you can see me, which means we have gone video. So you can find the video at RadioInfluence.com, YouTube, Rumble, and Conservative Television of America. What a career. She started out at age five under her birth name, Suzanne Capito, child star. As an adult, actress, model, dancer, did it all. Morgan Brittany, and probably perhaps best known for her role as Katherine Wentworth on the iconic TV series Dallas. And let me tell you something, women today still don't forgive her for trying to kill Patrick Duffy, Bobby Ewing on the show, not only once, not only twice, but three times. Mm -hmm. They still haven't forgotten. You know, she was a guest on my first live show when I started this in 2020. It was a two hour live show. She was one of several guests. And when I went to podcast format, it was two hours. She was one of several guests and I am elated and honored to have her on now that I have gone to video format as the guest, actress, political commentator, and the co-owner of the website, PolitiChicks, I am late to bring to the show. Somebody I'm glad to call my friend, Morgan Brittany. How are you, Morgan? I am doing fine. Really, really good. I'm, I, every time a new year comes in, I go, I'm still here. <laughs> hey, same here with me. Uh, you know, we both had birthdays in December, so yeah. we're still here. Praise God for that. And there's been an addition to the family. Your daughter, Katie, back in November of 2021, had a child, Oakley. She did. So yeah. you're playing, not only are you playing grandmother, but as you told me, you are up in your game because you are terrified and want your granddaughter to be raised in the same freedom that you were raised in and that you grew up in and that both you and I know in this country and we've lost it. Yeah, we, we if we haven't lost it completely, we're losing it at a rapid pace. Thank goodness we have people like you out there talking Thanks. and speaking loudly and and having the courage to say what we need to have said. And I look at it more and more because um, Anne-Marie Morell and I do politics, but we got shut down so often by Facebook, by, mm. by Twitter. Everything we would say, if, if we had a different opinion, we would get censored or we would get, you know, tagged for misinformation. I'm seeing our freedoms, especially our freedom of speech, going away. We're not allowed to speak anymore. I'm looking at the, the, the rioting, the protesting in the streets where people are, are standing up for terrorists, uh, Hamas terrorists. 
when we have, I mean, I, I'm looking at the universities because my daughter went to school out here in California. I could see it years ago that it was happening in her school, but I didn't realize how bad it was and how, how just immersive they got to uh, indoctrinate our children and turn them into little robots that don't know anything other than what they've been taught. It is a very scary situation. I see it. I, I've been talking about it for years. When I when I ended, kind of retired. You know, I retired out of show business because it was just, it was just turning into something I didn't recognize. Having spent fifty years in the business, um, I I saw it deteriorate. It began in the 1960s, but, but it didn't get really bad until, you know, the 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 90s, the 2000s. And I said, you know, I've, I'm I'm going to have to walk away from a lot of this because I couldn't do it. I had a great career. I loved what I did. I worked with the most amazing people. Hollywood was not the place it is today. And. I just, I look at our entire world, Gary, and I think the world is turned upside down. What's what's right is wrong. What's wrong is right. Don't, you're not allowed to speak if you believe a certain thing. Uh, religion is just being demonized everywhere mm. you look. It's It's become like a show I did in the 60s, The Twilight Zone. Yeah, there you go. And you did three of them, right? Three Twilight Zones? I did. And right. You know, back then, those stories were, were thought of as science fiction. You look at those stories today, and there was one, I think, with Burgess Meredith that I saw recently, um, that it's it's happening. It's literally happening where you can't speak. He was brought in front of a tribunal. I can't remember the title of it, mm -hmm. but people know it. And you look at it now and you say, that was science fiction back then. But the Twilight Zone was an amazing opportunity for me. I was so lucky I got to work with Rod Serling and and some of the most amazing actors and writers. It, it, it Like I said, Hollywood was a totally different place than it is today. That's what I want to talk about. I want to go through the three sections of your illustrious career and tell us what was America like? So you started out as, under your birth name, Suzanne Capito. You were a child star, five years old, in the 50s. And you were like on all the shows. You were on Twilight Zone, uh, Sea Home with Lloyd Bridges. You were on all these shows. Right. What was it like during that time period as a child? You did The Birds with Alfred Hitchcock. I'm going to make you tell that Hitchcock story. But what... <laughs> What was it like, you know, yours, mine, and ours with Henry Fonda and Lucille Ball? You danced with Gene Kelly. You were in a movie with Tony Curtis. You did Bob Hope specials. What was America like then? Yes, yes. I worked a lot of time at, um, at um, uh, MGM Studios. I went to school on the MGM lot where Mickey Rooney, Elizabeth Taylor, Judy Garland, they all went to school in the same little schoolhouse I did. And... I remember, I remember the love of country, the, the, the absolute patriotism that came out. In fact, uh, I did a show called the, it was a Bob Hope special, and it was all about Eddie Foy, 
I don't know whether your audience and the little fours. Yeah, I I know. And Eddie Foy was a big vaudeville star along with Bob Hope back in the 20s. And he had a family of seven kids and it was called Eddie Foy and the Seven Little Foys. And I remember working on that show and Mickey Rooney was on it and he played George M. Cohan. And we had dance numbers and routines, flag waving. I'm a Yankee Doodle Dandy. Patriotic songs, singing over there, singing singing, you're a grand old flag. This was for television in the 60s. And there was a love of that. And they wanted wanted good values. You worked on a show like, like the Andy Griffith Show, for instance. Andy Griffith Show made it a point to tell a story and at the end of that 30-minute story, you learn something about life. You learn something about relationships. You learn something about being good, goodness. Um, there was there was always a message in these shows. Mm-hmm. I went from, from Rawhide to Gunsmoke to Branded with Chuck Connors. Every one of those shows had a storyline that touched your heart or made you think your life at home in the 50s or 60s may not have been as great. You may be struggling, but you could watch a show and you could think, there's hope. That made me feel really good. Whether it was a comedy like My Three Sons, there was always a message. And that message was a positive image for people. It was uplifting. Do you notice today how everything is dark, everything is brutal, it's violent, it's it's hatred, it's against people against each other. I when did it at- start? When did you start <clears throat> to notice? Did it start towards the end of your childhood or before you became Morgan Brittany, or your child actress, or did you see it back then and then it kind of perpetuated itself as you became an adult? You know, it it really didn't start until the 60s and the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. I was in high school at the time. And at that point, um, I had done Yours, Mine, and Ours with Lucy. And I remember the studios when, when, when Lucy, she owned Desi Lu, and she was selling her studio to Gulf and Western. And Gulf and Western <clears throat> did not want to make yours, mine, and ours. They said nobody wants to see that. Too much of a family value yeah, thing. Too much of a family. And they said no, 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 no. They want to see, you know, they want to see French Connection or not French Connection. That wasn't out yet, but Super movies Gulf. like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In the '60s, and so um, Lucy fought for it, and she said, "No, I, I want to do this film. We're going to make a family film, and we're going to make something good." And so they. Of course, you know, Lucy was Lucy, so they they let her do it. After Yours, Mine, and Ours, it was it was a big success. But my career at that point, I was 16, and I was no longer a cute little child, and I was not yet an 18-year-old able to do adult roles. So my career shut down. And I was let go by the agents and they said, have a nice life. You, uh, you know, you're a kid, kid actor. You'll never, you know, just have a nice life, get married. And I had a really hard time for a few years. And 
I finally, I don't know whether I told you the story, Gary, but I had reached a really, really low, low point. And I thought, this is all I know. This is the only thing I know. This is, I'm not trained to do anything but be an actor. And I said, what am I going to do? And I, I remember a night where I didn't really want to go on anymore. And I prayed to God and I said, if you're listening to me, I need your help and I need an answer. I need it. And I, and I went to bed and I tell you, and I swear to you, this is the truth. The next morning, I knew exactly what I had to do. And Morgan Brittany was on her way? More, I changed my name when I, I, I decided. I said, I'm going to take what little money I have left from my childhood career because most of it was all spent. And um, I'm going to take what little money I have left. And I turned 18 at that point and I got on an airplane and I went to New York City. Right. And that's where you reinvented yourself. Yeah. I changed my name. Back then you could do that. (laughs) You didn't have to jump through hoops. You could just get off an airplane and become somebody else. And I struggled and I went through, I mean, I, that's, that's all in my, um, in my essays that I write about the, the absolute, thank goodness there was no internet back then because mm. <laughs> I bluffed my way into New York city and I was determined to make it, but I'm telling you that I, if you ever, if anybody ever wants to know, you ask for help, you will get it. Yeah, I can provide it. Morgan, what had the country become now? Now you're an adult star and you're doing Dallas, you're doing all these shows, Murder, She Wrote, uh, you know, the two-hour premiers, you're all over the place. What had the country become now? Because now the Marxist communist influence that was under current before it seems like it was really starting to creep out is that uh, accurate oh extremely accurate in please fact, tell us about that because well, this is how yeah, the country changed in the 1960s i could see it happening little by little i could see it it was coming in in the dialogue they would try to push agendas but then they got pushback the audience didn't want to see it the audience didn't want to talk about it and and the producers they were mostly becoming now they were mostly becoming liberal and they wanted they wanted to slowly but surely change everyone's idea of what america was and they started back then and i started to see it little by little and then they'd add nudity and sexuality and they would they would have women you know just it was it was not comfortable to be a woman then. It really wasn't. And I could see in the 60s, the 70s, they were eating away at our moral values, at our culture. If somehow they were trying to change it all, that Marxist influence was coming in, but they kept getting pushback. If you remember... The 70s, they tried very, very hard to get people to go back to the theaters because nobody was going to the movies they were offering. And the studios sold off their back lots. 
They sold off their whole departments because they were going broke. They decided to pull away from their propaganda of trying to get people to change. And you saw shows like The Brady Bunch. You saw Touched by an Angel. You saw Leave It. Uh, um, what was Michael Landon's show? Um, a Little House on the Prairie. A Little House on the Prairie. And that came back. Everybody loved it. But you then know, it the exploded. Then it went the, it, went the it, wrong exactly. way. What happened? They don't give up, Gary. you got to remember that. They don't give up. They may take two steps back. They may hide in a corner until you shine the light on them again. So but where then, do we start? I hear you. Where do we stand now? Because you became a political commentator, you politics, you've been getting the word out, you, you, you've you been doing the best you can to tell people what is going on to our country. Where do we stand now and how do we get out of this mess? Well, where we stand now is, unfortunately, uh, Hollywood doesn't care anymore. The liberal media doesn't care anymore. Most of the journalists don't care anymore. They're on the same page as all these people that want to change everything. It's infiltrated everything. It's infiltrated the news media, the, the print media, Hollywood, Broadway, books, everything. Magazines. Look at magazines. Ma girls that used to read Glamour magazine totally different from what I grew up with, totally different, but they own it. And let me tell you something. They used to be afraid to tell you. They would always lie to you. Oh, no, 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 no. It's, a, you know, you weren't right for that part because it, well, we just wanted to go another way. Now it's, we don't like your politics. You're a conservative. We're not hiring you. We're not inviting you to parties. I talked to David Mamet one day, who's a mm -hmm. brilliant writer. I know who David he is. Mamet yeah. is a liberal, okay? Mm -hmm. He he was basically a liberal, but not crazy. He turned, he saw what they did, and he turned conservative. And David Mamet, suddenly the doors are shut. No more parties, no more invitations. You are dead to them. If you think like we do, Gary, you know what? We're dead to them. So what happens is we need to have the strength. Everybody needs to speak. They cannot be afraid. And I know it's so, it's so scary because you can be canceled. You can lose your job. Everybody. I mean, I remember Sean Hannity said to me the first night I went on the Great American Panel on Fox, he looked at me right before airtime and he said, you realize you'll never work again. And I said, you know something, Sean? This means more to me. I don't care. This means more to me. We have to speak up. John Voigt, same thing. John speaks up. But they demonize us and they try, but we just have to stand up. We have to speak because... It is very, very, very dangerous. I think more people are waking up to the fact now because there is, there's beginning to be pushback. People are talking at the schools. Parents are going in. Um, they're, they're recognizing what the future generation is going to be. They don't want their children just like I don't want my granddaughter to be indoctrinated. Right. 
and and turned into one to one of these little robots. No. Well, to stop that, what can we do? What can average Joe Public do? And Morgan, we're going to let this roll because you're on a roll here. We're going to keep this going for a few more. What can the average individual do that says, I'm not famous, I don't have a microphone, and I don't have a pen? What can we do to try and get this country back to we the people? Because it's no longer, see, we've got so many fights now before it used to be Republican versus Democrat. Mm -hmm. Then it was conservative versus uh, uh, constitution versus communism. Now we have to deal with globalists, the globalist initiative versus America first, which is, you know, Donald Trump's big thing about we've got to keep our country that was birthed by Judeo-Christian values to be blessed by God. We can't become part of the one world order. So what can people do? Well, we we do have a voice still. We do. <clears throat> Thank goodness um, Elon Musk took over Twitter and turned it into X, and now we can <laughs> now we can speak about COVID now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, we have a voice. I get into conversations in the most bizarre places. I mean, sometimes I will be in a grocery store, and I'll be in line, and somebody will make a comment about prices, or or oh. Look at the look at the price of these groceries, blah blah blah. And I'll get in a conversation with them, and I'll go, you know what? We got to do something. We got to do something about this. I said, number one, living in California, we got to get rid of Gavin Newsom. Most people kind of look at you and go, what? And then you get hold on, Morgan. Hold 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 on. Time out. I have to stop you there because you said the magic words. Now I know you live in California. Every time. Every time I contact her by email, everybody, I'll say, are you in your hidden underground bunker? Please tell people what is going on in California, because (laughs) I can't believe people still live there who are conservative. What's it like? Oh, it is. It is like living in. uh, There there was a movie done. I think Kurt Russell did it called Escape to New York. Right. With Isaac Hayes. Right. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. This is this is California is basically that movie and it's becoming Soylent Green. Remember when Soylent they're making artificial food out here that they're they're 3D printing meat now that you Literally, electric cars, reparation. Oh, homeless people, the homeless situation. You try to go down to the LA Philharmonic or the Walt Disney Hall, you got to step over people on the streets, urinating on the streets, and you're in a dressed up in a nice outfit, and you have to put a handkerchief over your face because the smell is so bad. It this is what they have turned California into, and people all over this country need to know as California goes, so do you guys and it's coming your way. So we have to talk about getting these people out of office. Actually, if you can run for office or if you can be on a local board, if you have some power in your community, you can make a big difference. You can tell the truth, tell people the truth. Don't be afraid to talk about the climate change agenda. Don't be afraid to do to to say anything at all. They can't. What are they going to do? Really? What are they going to do? I'm not afraid of them anymore. I will talk and say what I feel. But you have to. You really have to. And you've got to vote. 
You got to tell everybody you know, this is not going to change. I get very um, discouraged when I see the shenanigans that go on at the ballot, you know, for Mm -hmm. mail-in ballots. And I'm scared of all of that stuff. But I'm trying to tell people, you must keep your eyes open. You must see what's going on. You have to listen. Get as much information as you possibly can because it's not just your life. It's the life of the next generation. They've got to know. They've got to know the truth. Right. And uh, yeah. And as you said, because you don't want your granddaughter no. to grow up because she'll look back and say, uh, and she'll look at her mother and she'll look back at you and she'll say, you could have stopped this. So I, I understand. And that's why I do what I do for God, family, country and that's for right. the love of the Constitution that has kept us free because that's that piece of paper. We don't live up to it, but as long as that's there, we will have freedom of speech. At least it's on the books. We should have freedom of religion and the right to bear arms. So when government becomes tyrannical, we can get rid of it. Uh, Morgan, Morgan, before I I really appreciate you coming on. Before you go, I want people to know about your new book that you are pinning, Mm -hmm. uh, why you're pinning it and what type of book it is. And because I know what type of book it is, and you can give it its name, I am politicking to make sure the Alfred Hitchcock story from the birds is in there. So I want you to tell the people the bird story, because out of all the stories you've told me about Hitchcock and Ted McGinley and Larry Hagman and Rod Serling and Andy Griffin and Ronnie Howard, this is my favorite. Well, The Birds was an was an amazing movie to get cast in. Believe me, it was. <clears throat> we didn't have we didn't really know a whole lot about it. I was probably maybe nine years old when I did it, but we were on location in Bodega Bay, up in Northern California, and the sequence that we were in was um, there was a schoolhouse sequence with the crows and the crows chased us down the street and, you know, ran after the kids. However, we did another sequence and it was a birthday party for the character Kathy, Veronica Cartwright, and uh, all the kids, we were on location that day and we were at the farmhouse. And our sequence was that all the kids are running around playing in the yard and all of a sudden the seagulls come down and they start attacking the children. So we've got this scene all mapped out and everything. They've got the, they've got the, um, the seagulls. And they were real. They were real. And they, what they did is they captured them off of an Island with a net. And these birds were not happy about that at all. (laughs) Then they would tie monofilament to their legs. Uh, Trainers, and would get up on top of ladders behind the camera and they would throw these seagulls at the kids and the seagulls would land, they would land on you and then you never start knew. Start pecking away. Start pecking away, right? So we were really, it was like very, very scary. And I had to do a sequence where I fall down uh, and, and a seagull gets on my back and I got up my courage because no one talked to Mr. Hitchcock. No one. <clears throat> but I was really, really scared for what I had to do. And I 
I gathered up my courage. Mr. Hitchcock was in his chair by the camera. I went over there and I went over to him and he stood up, this giant of a man, stood up and looked down at me. And I said, Mr. Hitchcock, and he looked at me and I said, I'm, I'm really afraid of these birds. I'm really afraid of this scene. What, I mean, what if they kill me? And he says, he looks down at me and he goes, don't worry, my dear. It's your last scene in the picture anyway. (laughs) (laughs) To a nine-year-old. I know. And I just kind of turned around and I walked the other way like, okay. (laughs) I'm done. I'm done. Um, yeah, because oh. that was that was it. That's what he said. And <clears throat> it ended up being all, all right because they had used a they ended up using a mechanical bird on me and uh, I had to flip a switch and it looked like it was it was. Getting all right. I have it. you sent me that picture. It, it really looks real. Yeah. Now, is that the type of things that you're going to put in your book and tell people why you're writing a book, what the name of it is and why you're not writing just your average book, that this is a book of memoirs and thoughts? And, yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, I, I was approached by a couple of uh, publishers and they said, oh, write your life story. But it's like. No, I don't know. I don't really want to write the whole life story because that is a lot of exposition. It's a lot of history. It's a lot of family. It's a lot of that. I that That's really not where I wanted to go. So I decided I'd write a book of essays called Sound Bites of, from a Hollywood Life. And what I'm going to do is um, I'm working on stories where I start out in the early days and I pick the best anecdotes and I make them into small essays, three, four, four pages long. And I talk about the good times, the bad times, what the actors were like that I worked with, how how I dealt with being a child actor, that kind of thing. Some of the stories are so funny, very funny. Some of them are very, very, you know, touching. And then others are, you know, kind of sad in a way like what they'll do what they do to you and how they abuse you in Hollywood especially mm-hmm. children how they're abused and they're they're just treated and then they're you know you can be a, a very successful child actor for many many years and then just tossed the minute you get to be your a teen and not to mention any names the next thing you're seeing people former child stars robbing banks yeah, no, yeah, and sad, it's very it's, very it's very unfortunate, yeah. and and uh, you know, there's there's stories in there that just, I mean, they're they're hard, they're really hard because when you're seven and eight years old and you're getting rejected on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and you you know it's nothing. I mean, you basically think, well, what is it that I did? Why don't they like me? Why don't they want me? And you don't understand that it's, well, maybe that's not the character they want, or maybe that's not. No one explains that to you. You're just tossed, you know, or you're cast in something, and then they decide they don't want you and throw you out. You, you Why? But I, I, I put those stories in there, and what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to give people, like I've got a call sheet from the birds. A call sheet is your daily work, like where you were, all the actors in the cast, what time they had to be there, all that kind of stuff. I think people will be interested in seeing that behind the scenes pictures. 
um, just short little essays that were really important in my career. And things that most people don't know, like nobody knows that Henry Fonda and I, on yours, mine, and ours, he taught me to needlepoint. That's I, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Henry Fonda. Henry Fonda would sit with his glasses on his nose and he'd be needlepointing. Right. And Lucy one day brought everybody packages and stuff. And Henry sat with me and he taught me. And to this day, I still do needlepoint. And right. I, I loved Henry because he was such a gentleman and he gave me some of the best advice I, I ever had because I was at a turning point in my career. And I said, I don't know. I don't know if if I I want to take no. rejection anymore. And he said, no. you know what? If you quit, you'll never know no. if you could have made, made it. You know, I'm looking, yeah, I hear you. I'm looking forward to this book uh, because what people may not know, we actually have talked more off camera on the phone for hours and (laughs) talked about your life, my life, the people I, stars I like, the people you like, insights and stuff. So a lot of these stories I will be looking forward to reading. And Morgan, I really appreciate you coming on. I really appreciate that you're out there. You're still doing Dallas appearances. Sometimes they have Dallas things going on. And any chance you get, you said you will be out there politically commentating, political commentator, trying to save America for we the people. We definitely need you out there doing that. But before you leave, please tell people how to reach you and anything you'd like to promote. Well, I like I said, I'm going to work on this book, see, see where it goes. Um, I am available on Facebook. You can go to Morgan Brittany. I have a fan page there, but I've got other pages and you just ask me to friend you and I can do that. I'm on X and that's Morgan Brittany and the number four. And you can talk to me on X. Uh, I don't do Instagram. I don't do a lot of, a lot of that stuff. Still do politics. Um, and as hard a time as they give us, you know, yeah. it's keep like, up the good fight because that's what I, they want us to do is quit. They do want us to quit and we can't quit. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just sometimes I get so discouraged. But then again, I get that inner strength. I get that inner strength that's coming from the Lord above. And it says, don't give up on this. Don't get, we have the best thing going, Gary. We've mm. got it. This country is the, I don't care what they say. It is the best thing and it may be on its knees, but man, we got to get it back standing. We have I, to. I hear you. Morgan, I really appreciate you being my first video guest and, uh, you know, we'll bring you back. I'm looking forward okay. to seeing this book and uh, God bless you. Your husband, uh, former stuntman, Jack Gill, big time stuntman yeah. and the kids and congratulations on being a grandmother so thank you once again god bless you your family till the next time there you have it morgan Brittany. i want to thank my friend morgan Brittany for coming back for the fourth fifth sixth seventh time i'm not even sure i lost count and telling us what hollywood used to be like what america used to be like what it has become not good and what we need to do to get it back. Keep up the good fight, Morgan. We need more out there like you.
This podcast is available at RadioInfluence.com or wherever you get your favorite podcast. Hope you subscribe to it, leave a rating and a review, and be sure to tell your friends about the show. This first video podcast you can find at RadioInfluence.com, on YouTube, Rumble, and Conservative Television of America. You know, there's an archive also to the podcast, to the audio part of the podcast, 150 high-profile guests who have been on the show previously, just to name a few, Ben Carson, Christina Bob, Kevin Sorbo, Carol Swain, Monica Crowley, Pastor Jack Hitz, Judge Janine Pirro, Mike Lindell, Diamond and Silk, a great lineup of people. So hope you'll go there and check out some of the previous shows. So that's it for now. Hope you will join us again. And until the next time, God bless you, God bless your families, and God bless America. <laughs>